Okay. Hi, Dr. Claire. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. But yeah, how are you doing today? I am doing okay today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to oh. connect with you and share space with you. It's truly an honor. Yeah, of course. No, it's all my pleasure. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on here. But yeah, to start off, tell us a bit about yourself. So my name is Dr. Claire Greenford. I am a clinical social worker by training. And I always say I am an unapologetic racial and social justice warrior. I am a humanist and I am an advocate and I am firmly rooted at the intersection of mental health, racial and social justice and advocacy and policy. Yeah, thank you for that. And also tell us a bit about your approach um, to being unapologetic. I think it's a journey. There isn't one approach. It's a journey that I am still on. And it's a lifelong journey of making sure that I am grounded in my voice, who I am. And the reason I have this approach now is because of much for much of my life, I didn't speak. I didn't share how I felt, particularly being someone of the global majority, being a woman of color, being someone from a different country. I often felt that I had to fit in because of the privilege of being in America and therefore not speaking out about the experiences I was having, the things I was witnessing. And so being unapologetic for me means first and foremost that I am centering and honoring who I am as a human being. And I'm unapologetic about my humanity and honoring my humanity. And because of being able to honor my own humanity, then I'm able to honor the humanity of others around me. And so I will never apologize for being a humanist. I will never apologize for being an advocate. And I will never apologize for being someone that speaks up and speaks truth to power, because that is the power and the purpose that I have. And that's where I find myself to be most whole. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so tell us a bit more about your career and what you do. Yeah, so my career has spanned for a very long time. And so it is really hard to say what I do. I, you know, yeah. what I do is, is broad, you know, so I am the founder of my own consultancy and it's, which is called Dr. Claire Speaks. And it's a human centered advisory consultancy, thought leadership and training. Mm -hmm focused that is dedicated to promoting health equity and making sure that we are embedding health equity across social and healthcare systems, communities, government, institutions, policy, and firmly rooted at the intersection of mental health, racial and social justice, and advocacy. Okay, that makes sense. What inspired you to um, pursue a career in this field? Or just this? Yeah, no, I, I can, it, that's, that's a really great question. And so, I'll start backwards. So there was not one thing that inspired me, right? So I always say that I am a, a humanist, a thought leader, a speaker, and an advocate. Mm -hmm. But I am those things because of my experiences. When I first started uh, school and I had the opportunity to come to America as a, a tween, I went to college with the idea that I was going to be a medical doctor. I loved science from the time I was young. Yeah. I can't think of a time, particularly when I was young, that I wasn't going to be some type of general surgeon or internist, something. I was going to be doing surgeries. Yeah. And I went to college and life happened, right? I experienced so much 
depression and anxiety and the weight of trying to fit into a culture and a society that I didn't understand the expectations of other people, the weight of my, the, the expectations of my family, the social expectations, the racism, the bias, the misogynoir, all of those things that I was experiencing. And I saw so much injustice in spaces that I was in, but I didn't know at the time that it was injustice because I didn't have the lens, the words or the understanding coming from a different culture and at my age, what it was, but I knew something didn't feel right. As I progressed through in my in my college journey, and it was definitely a journey because there were many points that I was struggling a lot because we were required to take core classes in college, regardless of what your major is. I was doing core classes in in psychology and sociology and and humanities. And I was really curious about the human experience. One. Someone who wants to be a medical doctor, clearly I need to be able to understand people. But mm-hmm. the way that societies function, the way that people function, how people interact with each other. And I've always had a love for different cultures and understanding who people are, because at the core, I believe no matter what language we speak, what God we, we pray to, we are all siblings on this planet and we are much more similar than we are unlike. Mm-hmm. And so this journey for me was, my own experiences of, of racial oppression, my own experiences of harm, you know, my own experiences of being ignored, you know, as I shared with you, Dr. Claire Speaks is human-centered advisory consultancy, and it's focused really on promoting health equity across social and healthcare systems mm-hmm. and institutions of higher learning to ensure that everyone, everyone is treated like a human being and that we can naturally promote organizational wellness, promote community wellness and reduce social and healthcare disparities. Mm -hmm. But that's because I experienced a lot of healthcare disparities in accessing care. My current medical team of many practitioners are all women of the global majority. And it has made a significant difference in the quality of the care that I receive, but also the cultural responsiveness the cultural curiosity and the cultural respect that I receive in engaging those systems. When I say to my doctor that is from Korea that these are the things that are in my culture that I do or we believe that's accepted the same way that when I say that to my doctor from Trinidad and when I say that to my doctor from from um, Haiti, it's 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 this it's 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 respected and I think that for me it's made a big difference and so. I got into this space because of my own experiences of injustice, me being in the healthcare space and wanting healthcare to actually be a system of care for everyone, not just some people. That makes sense. Um, Tell us more about, I guess, um, the issue of health equity and just um, the lack of it. Oh my gosh. Like we will be here for, for, for 12 days just to get through the intro. But I mean, I think that, you know, when we think about, equity, right? You know, people always think equity and equality are the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. But but health equity really means like we are attaining the best level of care and health for everyone. Mm -hmm. And everyone has the opportunity and the resources, regardless of their race, their gender, their sexual ability status, country of origin, socioeconomic status, language, all of that for optimal health. When we think about equity, equity is when we are really providing what people need, not what we determine that they want, means that we are providing access. 
There are a lot of inequalities in the system in America that are based on structural and systemic racism and bias. And our healthcare system is also a reflection of the years of systemic bias and racism in this country. We have a system that is bifurcated. We have a system of have, which is people who may be privileged to help health insurance, which may be connected to places of employment and or if you are a student and you're under your parents' insurance or you're married and you're under your partner's insurance, which again is connected to a job mm-hmm. and the system of have nots where people who are on the public health system of insurance like Medicaid, Medicare, the quality of service received depending on that, those the access to insurance dict- dictates the type of care that you receive. They are certain providers that are in network that are versus out of network. We know, particularly for me as a mental health practitioner, I can say that one of the most striking examples I can give you is that uh, when I provided mental health care for kids, I have a child that was deeply traumatized and abused, who was five years old, who had private insurance, Mm -hmm. and a child who was five years old, deeply traumatized and abused, who had Medicaid, so public insurance. Their insurance, not their kids, they don't choose their insurance, but it has to do with what their parents can afford. Mm -hmm. The insurance determined the length of treatment I could provide to children who for all, everything put aside, had very similar traumas, same age. That That is an example of inequality because structural inequality, particularly in America, is based on on race and social class. And so if I have two kids that are abused, Mm -hmm. but we determine their value Mm -hmm. and the type of care they can receive based on the the insurance that their parents can afford, then we are perpetuating systems of harm rather than healing because it shouldn't matter what what insurance they have. Yeah, exactly. They're still human. They're still human. That makes sense. Uh, I know that that is um, the system that we have in America. Do you have any experience with the healthcare in other countries? Or do you know, um, you know, what they do differently and things like that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that one of the biggest differences is that, you know, America, despite being a first world country or a leading country, has one of the, the worst health outcomes of most of the other Uh, countries that are similarly situated and countries that are not. And it's because the system here is built on, again, this have the have not, and there's deeply uh, embedded structural racism and violence against people. And then you have other countries which have a a universal healthcare where everyone, regardless of if they have a job or not, have access to healthcare. The difference course is that we there's there's the balance that people say you look at UK you look at Australia all of these Canada all of these countries have these very wide networks of healthcare but then also there are challenges in those systems right where maybe people may be waiting longer to receive care or or access to care if you look at healthcare here in America where certain diagnoses, certain treatments are denied by by insurance. In other countries, for example, 
if somebody assesses that this person needs this, it's a matter of quality of life. It's a matter of their physical and emotional well-being. They may be eligible to receive those services that may be denied in America if you do not have the financial resources to pay it. And so that's though there's stark differences. And for the though American healthcare cost in some cases, five, six times that of other countries, the outcomes in America are abysmal. So the cost of healthcare in America does not match the health of Americans. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for sharing more about that. It's definitely um, difficult to hear about these things, but I think talking about it is like crucial to being able to solve that. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell us about a time when you faced a major challenge in your career and you know, how you overcame it or just how it went in general? Yeah, I mean, there are so many. I don't even know where to, to pick from. <laughs> now, I'll say that at this juncture where I am right now, it's it's challenging. I started my company uh, two years ago, Dr. Claire Speaks, and it has been a challenge in terms of, of fully coming into the space of consultancy. Not that I haven't done it before, but because, again, as as someone who experiences a lot of intersectional uh, oppression, often, you know, we have women, particularly women of the global majority, who are in these places where people may constantly want you to do the work, but they don't want to pay you for the work. You are an expert. You know, I have all these years of experience and training and et cetera, but often I find that people were are like, oh, well, can you just do this talk for free? Yeah. And so that's a big thing. And I think that it's something that you'll probably hear or see for a lot of women where it is assumed often, particularly, I think, when you're in health and social services, but in other places as well, that you're doing it for the goodness of others. But the reality is, is that it's exploitive to yeah. expect that people just do things for free. It's, But it's also the, the challenge of you know, making sure that even if I am like, I really want to get this contract or, you know, I haven't had any contracts for a really long time. I should just take this thing. It's really making sure that I stay aligned to my values and who I am as a person and what the values of my company, which I represent are. And so when you say, how do you, you know, overcome it? It's being constantly reminded every day of who I am, who I want to be, and what I want this platform to mean and to do. If I am someone that is going to speak out about, you know, the health and well-being of people, if I'm going to be someone that speaks about the importance of healthcare systems, having access and having culturally responsive, culturally humble, culturally curious, culturally honoring practices that uh, providers should be reflective of the communities that they're serving and that there has to be accountability for providers in those systems when they're not treating people well, then I have to make sure that I align myself with organizations that are actually aligned with that. I wouldn't, for example, partner with a company that has a track record of discrimination publicly yeah. and, and, or, and adult, uh, that is against the core. Now, every company has a, a track record of discrimination. I want to be very clear about that because there's just no no such thing as perfection, but there's also, there's no one we've arrived. You never arrive in equity. You never arrive in anti-discrimination. It's a constantly evolving thing. But the thing that I do to, to push through is I connect with people that like yourself, where I can learn and grow and be inspired as well, because you're quite inspirational. 
I connect with, with people that have skill sets that I don't have because this journey has taught me and not just this journey, but my career, what I'm really, really good at and my zone of genius, as I call it, and what I'm not good at. And that's my zone of help because no one person can be all the things. Mm -hmm. The journey of being an entrepreneur is very lonely. And that's something that people don't talk about, right? When you're a business owner and you're trying to start your business and you're trying to build a business and get clients and market and all those things, it's very lonely. No one is going to get your vision the way that you do. No. And it's not fair to expect anybody else to, but it can be lonely because people, we live in a society and I think particularly your generation and, uh, you know, uh, where we are now, it's everything is like, it doesn't count if it's not on screen, if it's not public, if somebody's not doing a like, if someone's not, if if you don't have a thousand followers on this and 10,000 followers on that, and that's not true. So the last thing that I do is remind myself that it doesn't matter if it's a thousand people, 10 people, 10,000 people that I'm speaking to, I need to connect with people And I connect with people by making sure I'm firmly connected to my purpose, my mission, my values, and my passion. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially uh, what you said about uh, connecting with so many people. I think this podcast has been a major um, form of that for me. Every time that I meet someone, I feel like I'm learning so much, continuing to be inspired, but also um, continuing to be pushed and kind of discovering what my vision is because obviously I'm still growing and discovering that but yeah it's definitely helped and another thing is that what you said about your values I think we kind of discussed this over email a little bit we touched on it a bit um but yeah that's definitely great advice and I think that um I think yeah we should try to go by but yeah um relating to that though sticking to your values respecting boundaries all of that uh how do you balance your personal life and the demands of your career um boundaries are your friend they are my I mean they are my best friend as a I think I I shared that you know part of my background is being a clinical social worker so I'm a trained and licensed mental health practitioner wellness is is something that I'm always having to reassess and negotiate because honestly living in the skin that I live in and navigating the, the 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 world and this country in that is is still harmful for me But boundaries are really important to me. Boundaries with my time, boundaries with my friends, boundaries with my family, boundaries with my staff, boundaries with my colleagues, boundaries with myself. I am not always doing it, but it's something I'm constantly working on. I know I have a lot of colleagues that are like, we really admire you. Like you say no. Yeah, I will say no because I am not so pressed for somebody's approval, that it will be something that harms me. And the reason is because I've learned from that mistake. I've had the health issues. I've had the insomnia. I've had the body breaking down and the health scares and, you know, still navigating a lot of those health challenges now because of the impact to my physical and uh, well-being because of those experiences. And so I have to protect my my peace. I have to protect my space. I am deserving of rest. And so one of the things is, you know, boundaries. And it's something that uh, a supervisor told me years ago when I started my first job. And I had a post-it and I still 
say it like, and I actually still have a post-it. It says limits and boundaries. The boundaries that I need to maintain are the ones that support the limits of my capabilities and the limits that I need to place on those help support healthy boundaries. If I don't have healthy boundaries, if I don't acknowledge limits, then I am not good to myself and therefore I am not good to anyone else. And I cannot be on for everything. You know, I have really great friends and colleagues and I can use an example. I had a colleague uh, that reached out and was like, I really want to talk to you about this stuff. And then I said, right now is not a good time. I've had some really challenging days and this this stuff is really activating for me. It, it, it causes me a lot of stress. And right now I am not in a space to process that. And I don't want to, I'm happy to talk to you about something else, but I'm not willing to talk about this because this is not healthy for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely telling yourself you're deserving of that. And uh, I guess it's important to care for yourself because if you don't, I don't think anyone else will, uh, especially when it comes to things like health and all of that. And that's mm -hmm. I'm learning as well, setting those boundaries and like giving myself that grace. But yeah, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Another thing is what advice do you have for young people who are just starting out in the business world or, you know, you, how you created Dr. Claire Speaks, like some things that you learned from that, that you would want others to know. Um, what advice? Perfection is an illusion. It is an illusion. And as much as I love fantasy and all the things magical, it is not even magical because it's not even it, it can't even be brought into into real world. It's mm -hmm. not a thing. We I think often, particularly for someone your age and, and a little older, like there's this you, you're trying to find who you are. You're trying to find yourself and normal human development and brain development would indicate that this stage is like, you know, social relationships are really important and figuring out who you want to be and what you have to be and all those things. What I would say is that who you are today is not who you are going to be tomorrow because who you are today is not who you were yesterday. Yeah. Your interests will change. Your mm -hmm. desires will change. Your passions um, will deepen or dissolve. Your dreams will evolve. Your dreams may have to be deferred for a bit or they may not happen the way you want them to happen. And that's okay making sure that you understand what you want to do today can help you build on what you become tomorrow. But you don't have to figure it all out today. And I promise you, maybe in 10 years, you still don't have it figured out. And that's okay. When I started, I shared with you, I wanted to be a medical doctor, still a doctor, just an academic doctor, not a medical doctor, because my experiences changed my views. Who I am today, there's the impetus for starting this company. And, you know, as I said, Dr. Claire Speaks helps corporate and nonprofit social and healthcare service organizations, you know, like governments and, and healthcare educational institutions really work to embed health equity, racial and social justice and wellness into their practices and their policies, their service delivery, really because we want to make sure that the providers are humanized. Mm -hmm. And the reason I emphasize humanizing providers is because as a provider, I have often been dehumanized in those systems 
and then expected to help provide care for other people when I wasn't being cared for. And so I understand what it is to be a healthcare provider and overwhelmed and still expected to, to, to help other people. But it also centers the well-being of the, the providers and fosters accountability to make sure that they are held responsible for serving people with honor and dignity, to make sure that we honor and recognize the, the humanity of every community that we serve, right? And so there's four key areas that I focus on, health equity, mental health and wellness, racial and social justice, and advocacy and policy. Mm. Those things for me are an outpouring of the experiences I had. And I use all of that to, to say, not just, you know, not a replugging of the company, but it's, I couldn't have had this vision for this company without the experiences of being a mental health practitioner, being someone who experiences racial and social injustice, being mm -hmm. someone who's an advocate and who also loves working on legislation and policies, and all that is grounded in health equity. My experiences shifted what I wanted, who I am becoming and continue to become. And so that's why I say the advice I gave is who you are today is not who you will be tomorrow because it's not who you were yesterday because we are, we are a spectrum of humanity and we're constantly evolving and growing if we allow ourselves to grow, right? We learn something new every day, but the caveat is if we are willing. You can't learn if you're not willing. So give yourself the grace, give yourself the space and be curious about things around you, but also make sure that you're firm about your boundaries, your limits, who you let into your space, how you talk to yourself and how you allow others to talk to you and what you pursue so that when you are on that journey of figuring it out, you give yourself yourself space to figure it out, knowing that it can change. Quick story, I had a friend in college mm. who I can't even think the amount of times he changed his major. I, I really can't. And I know his parents wanted to shake him. But I can remember that for many years, he kept, he maybe he changed his major like three times. And so of course it was more and more college. And we the rest of us were like, you just don't want to graduate. Like you're afraid to like go and graduate, right? Yeah. Then like senior year, you know, you declare your major in junior year, senior year, like fall semester. He's like, I know what my major is. He changes major again. Mm -hmm. But it's because he finally figured out after probably, I think, five years in undergrad what he really wanted to do. And that's because of the people he met and the classes he was taking and the parties he was going to and the social... He was not doing well before because he was doing something his parents wanted him to do. And he was doing something that his friend said, oh, you're good with this. Like, you should do this, right? He was an athlete. So they're like, oh, you're good with this. You should do sports medicine. You he didn't want to do that, but he was doing it because other people told him. Yeah. Until he found what he wanted by his experiences, his parents were going to strangle him because it's a lot of money to keep changing your major and switching classes, right? Yeah. But you have to allow yourself the space to figure it out and know that what you want at 20 mm -hmm. is not the same as when you're 30. And it's certainly not the same when you were 10. And it's certainly not going to be the same when you're 70. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I have this um, habit of clinging on to things and just um, 
planning everything out and deciding like okay this is the way things are gonna go this is how every part of my life is gonna go but I'm glad you mentioned that because that is um, a mindset that I'm trying to change and I'm trying to go day by day instead of kind of like planning out the rest of like my next 20 years um yeah I mean listen I see myself in you I really do I want to say that I'm definitely a planner Mm. I believe in plans but for me, I have plans, but it, I also understand that things don't go according to plan. So I'm not saying don't plan. It's good to have some plan, but don't be so tied to those plans that if you need to shift them, that you're discombobulated because they need to shift. The, right. only, the only constant in life is change. Yeah. But yet it is the thing that as humans, we resist the most. And there's neurological reasons for that, right? Our brains are wired for sameness, right? And so when we think about this, it's it's not a you personal problem that you cannot move past, you know, you know these plans. Yeah. We are wired for sameness, sameness and consistency and knowing what's coming is how our human race has survived, right? It's how we have made assessments of whether or not our environment is safe whether or not this person is safe. And that's that's primitive brain functioning, right? That's baseless. You cannot override primitive brain functioning to that base core, right? But what right. you can do is create those neural pathways because neuroplasticity and the way that our brains grow and shape are always relearning and forming new pathways or, or, or pruning other pathways if we're not using something. Our experiences are shaping the way that our brain helps us understand the world. And so it is important that you have some general plans. Like this is what I want to do. But I can also tell you that you may also find yourself distressed. And a lot of people find themselves, again, as a mental health practitioner, I'm going to, I need to speak to this is a lot of times people find themselves depressed and anxious. And that's, you know, depression, anxiety are a married couple. It's a miserable pairing, but they are married and they always come together. Mm -hmm. And because of the weight and expectations of others, but because of the weight and expectation we put on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so having plans is important, but also understanding that flexibility and fluidity is necessary so that you can shift those plans around. Mm -hmm. It may be that you get, I told you, my plan was to be a medical doctor. I'm still a doctor, if -hmm. you put doctor in front of my name, but I am not a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing something that I feel is the calling God put on my life. Yeah, definitely. And um, I guess I used to ask this question, actually, I would say, how do you stay motivated and maintain a positive attitude in the face of setbacks and failures? But I realized that, like, you don't always have to maintain a positive attitude and, you know, be on your feet all the time. That's definitely something that changed my mindset so, so much. I was actually one of my previous guests who told me that, but tell me your position on it. Yeah, I agree. You do not have to maintain a positive attitude all the time. You need to be able to sit and say, this sucks. I hate this. This is frustrating. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I am not feeling well. I think this toxic positivity is really harmful, right? And so that, that toxic positivity is the idea that we should always be grateful for, you know, what we have and we should find the positive in everything. And, you know, it's, it's bad to um, focus on, you know, 
things that you know aren't going well because that toxic positivity leads to us suppressing mm -hmm. our feelings and it invalidates our humanity, invalidates our trauma, and it leads to unhealthy behaviors and isolation and depression and anxiety and people pleasing. And it leads to you not knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with saying, this sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. I am frustrated. No one is helping me. I don't know who to ask for help. I'm tired of being taken advantage. There's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with saying mom, dad, sister, friend, whoever, like, I need some space. Yeah. And yes, I'm grateful for this, but today I don't feel good and I'm not okay. And I don't know that I'm going to feel good tomorrow. Because yeah. what that does is actually help you to be able to then have a different outlook when you have allowed yourself to feel the feelings, to mm -hmm. express the feelings. It gives your mind the space to say, this is valid. I feel validated. And when we feel validated and when we feel supported, we are more open to receiving help. But if all we keep doing is saying everything is fine, then we, we're lying to ourselves. And then other people assume that we are fine mm -hmm. until sometimes it's too late. And yeah. so being able to say how I feel and acknowledge it, when people say, like today, someone said earlier, how are you doing? And I said, do you really want to know? Because I when I ask how someone's doing, I genuinely mean it, but I know particularly in American context and culture, it's just kind of like a, it's the way that people say hello. Yeah. But I said, you know, it's been a really rough few weeks and had some really challenging news yesterday and I'm still processing and I'm not okay. I, I'm, I can't pretend that I am because what it does is robs me of the opportunity mm -hmm for support. So I think that there are times where we need to push through, mm -hmm. but we can't push through if we don't acknowledge what we're facing, right? And that's really what it is, right? Yeah. Um, we are conditioned. Uh, it, it's a learned behavior, mm -hmm. which means it can be unlearned, yeah. right? Because we assume that not saying where everything is okay is a sign of weakness, right? Yeah. One of the strongest things you can do is ask for help. Definitely. I think for me, um, that's just not something that I'm fully able to do, asking for help or admitting that this is something that I want from you or any of that. I think it's just something that it makes me feel like I'm pestering the person or I'm, you know, things like that. But I guess it makes it feel like unreal. Like I want that help or anything like that to be opportunity by itself but it's something that I'm working on and yeah it's it's a progress it's a it's a what do you call it um it's slowly progressing and it's a journey but I'm yeah I can't um I can't exactly remember um the full quote but there's a quote that you know so often um I believe it's a quote from um a uh, woman by the name of Jane, but it's it says, uh, crying doesn't mean that you're weak. Since birth, it has always been a sign that you are alive. Yeah. 
And the, the, the depth of that is, is that when a child is born, mm-hmm. first thing that the doctors and the nurses and everyone in that room are waiting for is the baby to cry. If the first thing that we wait on to acknowledge life and humanity is crying, why then do we think that it is a sign of weakness? Whether an animal is born, when a, when puppies are born, they're, the mother's licking the, the, the puppy and to stimulate that baby to breathe, that puppy to breathe. And that puppy crying and whimpering is a sign that it's alive. It has always been a strength of our humanity. It's always been a sign of our strength and our humanity because your lungs have to be strong enough for you to make that sound. So why then, as we continue throughout societies and culture, do we then deny ourselves the very thing that everyone who first greeted us when we came into this world waited on us to do? That's very powerful. I don't think I'll forget that. That's really something that uh, resonates with me. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. But you get it, right? Like just asking like, hey, I want you to do this for me or any of that. Yeah, yeah. it's might be a cultural thing as well, but yeah. Absolutely. Listen, we could talk a lot about culture, yes. And then we can talk about the gendered roles on top of those. Right. Roles, right? Yeah, you All know. of those things. Intersecting identities is, is such a big part of who I am and the work that I do. And so absolutely understanding culture and context is important. And yeah. so there are different ways based on those cultures and, con- and cultural contexts that you can ask for help. But I yeah. think one of the things to particularly your generation is doing is helping a lot of people understand mental health is health. Yeah. We'll want to work and grind 24 seven because that's not humanly possible. Machines yeah. do that. And even machines get serviced and taken offline. Yeah. Right. And so I think it it is, there are different ways that we can find, but I think finding your voice and saying, I'm not feeling great or I need help. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really powerful because it allows you to get, get access to help, but it allows you to also know who is in your circle that will help you because not every person responds, right? Everybody doesn't respond the way that you may want them to. The thing I also say is that not everyone can. And that goes back to our expectations of people, right? We might expect someone because they're my brother, because they're my best friend, because they're my teacher, because they may not have the capacity, the language, the words, the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience to help you, but they may be able to know who can. Mm -hmm. The answer is always no, if you don't ask, yeah. don't tell yourself no first. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And uh, I guess going on um, about this kind of um, your journey and where you are right now, are you working on any project or initiative? Or I know you said that, uh, you know, Dr. Kerr speak was, Speaks was uh, started recently, like relatively, but yeah, is there anything that you're currently working on, whether it be short-term, long-term, you've been working on it for a while recently? Yeah, I mean, right now it's really just working on continuing to build my brand, mm-hmm. um, figuring out how I build my brand presence. You know, I've done a lot of speaking for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. It's now helping all those circles understand and uh, I am now doing this to be paid. Um, but or not now doing to be paid, but want to expect to be paid for this, but also uh, 
trying to engage networks and connections to get those spaces in. So helping people better understand Dr. Claire Speaks and finding different language for different people to explain it. As a healthcare professional, as someone who's a thought leader in the mental health and racial and social justice space and health equity space, I also understand that everyone is not in that space. So when I explain Dr. Claire Speaks, I never do it exactly the same way because it's I, of course, I have the elevator speech, but I need to make sure that I can speak to the audience. And so I will use words to explain or describe or kind of touch on it a lot. Of, so my it's marketing and and building all the other pieces behind. And also on this journey, as I continue, I'm figuring out, oh, I also need to do this. Oh, I need to have this. Or maybe I didn't need to have this. And I spent all this time doing this thing. And that's really not needed. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. So that's really what I'm working on, continuing to build and you know, and, and saying, hey, I'm here. I'm really happy to help your organizations and your schools and individuals and, and, and governments really understand how to better, you know, serve the community and, and serve community with love and with, with honoring and respect. And I'm, I'm here to consult and help people actually receive care. My, my, my goal is that health care is no longer harmful and it is truly healing. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you for sharing that. And I hope that your journey keeps going well. You are doing an amazing job. I um, definitely do resonate with all the things you stand for. And, you know, you have very fascinating viewpoints and all of that. So thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Do you have any final notes um, for the audience or just anything you want them to know or remember? Any of that? Yeah, so I, I think there's two things. One, it is your journey is your journey. Mm-hmm. It's unique to you and it's yours to make. The expectations, the weight, the ideas of others, while wonderful, mm-hmm. are not your responsibility to take on. Yeah. Your responsibility is to find the path and the journey that honors you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that will mean disappointing parents and friends and teachers and yourself in in so much as yourself that desires to please everybody else. But when you are at that space where you truly know and accept that you are on a journey of self-love and self-discovery and rediscovery and learning and unlearning, that's where your, your purpose and your passion and your power are at the strongest. So you have to be able to give yourself that space and the grace to do that. Rest is not a privilege. It is a right. It is a basic human right. And no one will honor your humanity unless you do. The other thing I will say, and I always say this to people, and particularly uh, to young women, to young people and people in general, is that you are necessary, you are important, you are valuable, you are incredible, you are gifted, you are flawed as you should be. There's no perfect thing in this world, possibly except chocolate ice cream, but that's debatable for some people. I understand that. But the reality is, is that there's no person ever in the history of humanity and a continuum of time that is as gifted, is as incredible, as magnificent, as wonderful as you are. 
because you are uniquely positioned for this point in time. No person that will ever be born will ever have the gifts, the knowledge, the experiences, the talent, and the ability to contribute to your world, your society, and others in the way that you can, because your giftings are unique to you. So honor your giftings and celebrate how necessary, how vital, how important, and how incredible you are. Thank you for that. I'm sure that'll resonate with a lot of people, especially because most of the listeners are teenagers, um, young women in their early 20s and all of that. So thank you for all that you've given us. And um, it was an amazing time talking to you today. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. And you are absolutely amazing. I am so impressed. I wish at your age, I had the courage, the wisdom, the gumption to do what you're doing. You are doing something that people two, three, four times your age have not yet done or are still afraid to do. So I hope that you also know that as you are on your journey, mm -hmm. that where you are right now is absolutely incredible and it's inspirational for me to have, have been able to be invited into this space. And I truly mean that. You're absolutely brilliant and gifted and incredible to see an issue and want to address it and actually do that at your age, with your all the things you're dealing with, absolutely amazing. That means the world to me. Thank you so much for your kind words. I feel very seen, I guess. Uh, it's definitely difficult, I guess, in terms of, you know, getting to this point. But, you know, you seeing the struggles and still appreciating that really, like, it means a lot to me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. But thank you so much for being on today. And I think that completes the episode. No problem.